It is 10.30 a.m. in New York, 4.30 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9.30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. According to the Forum of Expatriate Management, direct costs of a failed assignment can range from $250,000 to a million. And the annual cost of failures to all U.S. companies is estimated at $2 billion. That is just money. The cost to a family as you know, can range from career damage, strained relationships, and undue transition stress for the kids, just to name a few. Needless to say, the relationship between the family on assignment and the corporation is of ultimate importance. And that is why it's my absolute pleasure to have as a special guest on Expat Happy Hour, Kathy Hine. She's a global mobility expert and the managing director of Living Abroad, an organization that has been around since the 80s, serving organizations globally. Kathy, welcome to Expat Happy Hour. Thank you, Sunday. It's a pleasure. Let me brag about you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Kathy is the managing director of Living Abroad, and she has been involved in the core of international relocation. She's been around for over 18 years professionally in this industry and works with clients from Fortune 1000 companies and government organizations. So I can't think of anybody who has a better insider view of global mobility. We talk a lot about those who are sent an assignment, but what happens on the other side? So we're really excited to have you, Kathy. And one thing I don't know if you remember, but you and I have been in contact, I think, since 2015, when I was in Ouagadougou, because I wrote an article about expat fatigue that got featured on Living Abroad uh, way back then. Yes, I do remember. And I have to say that article, when we go back and look at our Google Analytics, is still getting views Sunday. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> Yay! That people are not talking about um, and to even, but back then, but even more now they're addressing um, that right. issue because it's so important. And actually, um, another company that does um, relocations had referenced your article too at the end of last year. So it's a really important topic. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad. Expat fatigue, I think the one reason I read it, I wrote it in the beginning was just to give legitimacy to how people were feeling, um, especially experienced expats who were feeling, you know, why I should, I should have this down by now or after so much, so many years abroad, why does this feel still hard? So that's one of the reasons, because um, I was seeing it all over with, with really seasoned um, expats. So thank you so much. So let's get, dive into you in your expertise. I invited you because I feel like we could benefit from an insider perspective on this relationship between corporate. And when I say corporate, I also mean, you know, government organization, any sending organization, but just for ease, I'm going to say corporate, corporate and family. 
I know when I work with a wide variety of clients that the relationship when you're being sent abroad with your organization can sometimes feel adversarial. Like, you know, they're not helping me or they don't want me to adjust or they're not supporting. Um, And I'm sure it feels like that on the other side, you know, from the corporate side where they're like, wait a minute, we're trying to support you and we're not getting participation. So would you mind sharing your insider perspective a little bit? Um, First of all, tell us, how do you have this perspective? What is it that you do that gives you the insider information? Sure. Um, that's a great question. So our primary audience for living abroad is the global mobility teams for large corporations that move employees around the world. Of course, we do have some government um, com- um, contracts that we do work with. Um, for instance, USAID moves employees all, or not employees, but yeah, I guess they are employees, um, all around the world to help, especially in underdeveloped countries. But um, I think what the reason I, well, first of all, our clients are corporate, so I talk to them all the time, but then I attend a lot of events. So I run the New York City chapter of FEM, so I hear a lot of what's kind of the heartbeat of what's going on in global mobility. Um, And then, you know, even just yesterday, I heard um, a presentation where somebody, a corporate was asked this question, how are you able to help assignees if you haven't been on an assignment? Which is a really good question. Yeah. You know what? Thank you for bringing that up. Because when you say that, I feel like I've been there, like kind of in a judgy place. Uh Like, you don't know what we really need. (laughs) You know, I'm like wagging my finger at you right now because you haven't done this with your kids. So, um, you know, when I hear what's going on in my clients' lives, that's how I feel about their sending organization. (laughs) Tell me, what was their answer? So that's really, um, yeah, so that's a good point. One of the women had been on this panel, had been on a couple assignments, so totally understood it. But the one woman that hadn't, her biggest move was only a hundred mile radius from where she was born Mm -hmm. to where she works now. She said that to develop empathy, she shadows other people that have been on assignment at her company to find out where the sticking points are. So, and she feels that that um, has given her some indication on how she can support assignees um, more fully. Oh, you know what? That just gave me chills on my arm. I love that. Yeah, I know. So I thought that was really, she, this woman, um, I would say she's younger for being in global mobility. She works for Johnson and Johnson and she's really trying hard to integrate the programs more fully so that assignees feel more supported. I love that. So for example, I had a moment where we were doing kind of the equivalent of fly in, fly out, where um, my partner would come to be with us for maybe a week or so, and then would have to go back. And my children were younger. And there was a scene in the driveway where um, the taxi pulled up and my, you know, my husband said goodbye to the boys and he got in and he was pulling away. And my youngest you know that cry where their mouth is wide open, but there's no sound coming out and you're just waiting for them to breathe? Yeah, yeah that was happening. And I was like, 
I wish every single global mobility professional could see this right now so they understand what it really means when a family is separated. That would be one of the moments, that would be a story I would tell her. Um, exactly. So they, they get it, the implications. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great thing that they're doing. Kudos to Johnson Johnson on having an employee like that who's willing to show empathy and learn the stories from the insiders. I love that. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard that. And so I thought that was an excellent response because we do hear that a lot um, in the industry that there are quite a few global mobility professionals that do not have this this expat experience of living in another destination. So how could they possibly help us? Now, the other flip side to that is that if they've been doing it for a long time, they've had kind of I don't know if the word is virtual experience by talking to these assignees, um, talking to the managers of these different business units that are sending people um, internationally. So they have developed this experience through talking to their uh, people that they do support. Okay. So what I'm hearing is for corporations to really support, they need to um, get experienced people in the job who've lived the life or they've put the time in to hear about the lives or they're proactive in shadowing individuals so that they get it. Exactly. The really good ones. And there are some really good ones out there. So, yes. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to say, uh, Sunday, uh, just to get give your audience a perspective. So as I mentioned earlier, HR really gets squeezed. Global mobility gets squeezed because they have their management in the procurement department saying, you've, it's always you've got to cut costs. And then on the other mm. side, they're the assignees saying, we need more support. And they know that the assignees need more support services and, and soft issues, which we can talk about. Um, and so they are in a really hard spot. They are squeezed in the middle. And often I think assignees forget about that um, because mm -hmm. as we mentioned, you're focused on yourself. You're trying to get yourself right. acclimated over to that destination. You wanna make sure you have a house or a place to live. You wanna make sure your kids are in a school where they're gonna be happy. And you know, all those things that go with the international move. Right. So I think we were talking about this adversarial relationship. If you are focused on um, your burning needs as an assignee and your um, manager is squeezing, let's say, the global mobility professional to cut costs, um, that could be that could be tough. You're put in the middle. Exactly. So they have a lot. So what do the best people do? What do they do when they're getting squeezed? How do they handle it? I think it's, I would say it's what I see. It's like any situation. Those that are really good at communication do very well because they're able to discuss the needs and represent the assignees to their managers and the business units. And I say the business units too, because those are the ones that often come to global mobility and say, hey, we've picked this person for this job internationally, and now you have to help them. So it's also educating the business managers that come to them and also listening to the assignees. What are they hearing a lot? What are assignees saying is missing from the program? Where are they asking for more support? So I think communication and also being a good listener. I think those two mm -hmm. are really good skills. So what, um, if we looked at optimizing this, you know, actually it's in everybody's best, best interest that, 
we we get what we need, right? <laughs> um, what would you, if you made it like a little mini list of do's and don'ts, what are the things that assignees should do or not do when they're working with their global mobility professional or their organization to really make sure that they get what they want? What are some of the things that you've seen along the way that work and don't work? Okay. So one of the biggest things I keep hearing is that companies will pay for services for their assignees and they won't take advantage of them. And for instance, the biggest one is cultural training. Now, cultural mm-hmm. training, a lot of people do not see the, a lot, even on both sides, on the corporate and the assignee, do not see the benefits. But I can tell you that <laughs> there are so many nuances in a country and even how you present yourself in a business meeting for the one that's being, you know, that is the assignee can make or break that meeting. How you interact in your office, how you're seeing as the new manager, whatever your position is. And that goes for the family as well. So what are some of the subtle customs that would help you, you know, get up to speed more quickly? And that can be found in either, you know, a a destination report or like an online cross-cultural tool or even companies still pay for the two-day classroom training. And right. You know, and I just wanted to say one quick thing that the employee often says, I don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. I'm smiling right now. You know I'm smiling right now. I've got a smirk on my face. <laughs> because I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, actually, you don't, you don't have time not to take it. Because if you don't get savvy, you will pay for it tenfold once you're there. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I, that is, that is so interesting. I think, I mean, I'm a nerdy interculturalist, so of course I'm on board about it. Um, and there's some organizations that just get it and know that it's worth the investment. And there's some that really resist it. Is it about the squeeze? No. Do you think it's because they're like, uh, we have, we only have a limited budget. What are we going to invest in? Like, why do you think they don't invest in intercultural training? Well, that's a good question. What I, I was speaking to somebody yesterday at this conference that I went to, and I really believe it's the culture of the company because, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why, one of our clients is Citigroup. Now, at the very mm-hmm. top level, the I think it's the president or CEO, when he travels internationally to visit different offices around the world, he goes into a deep dive on that culture. So that cultural... Um, you know, readiness thought pattern that he has gets trickled down to the, Mm -hmm. so the global mobility department is very um, proactive in making sure that their employees learn about the culture before they go. Some, Mm -hmm. I think it's some cultures are, are not, are not. And I would say some business cultures, for instance, um, if you're, sent overseas to manage a building project Mm -hmm. and you're going to be in this little enclave of expats. They don't see the value so much in training that particular manager, project manager for, for cultural, um, cultural nuances 
and social customs. So I believe it's a culture of a corporation. Right. And there I would recommend that's where they need to know about um, sort of the expat side of maintaining relationships when you're far, expat fatigue, all of that you could enter from from a different space. I mean, honestly, when I think about that, um, I wish that organizations did more, you know, the pre-departure training is great and ideal, but honestly, I wish they did more once you land and you're maybe six months in, because that's when you're like, oh, wait a minute, (laughs) that's different. Like that's when you have like the real questions. And I feel, and this is, again, this could be a judgment. I feel like sometimes organizations say, we did our pre-training, we're we're done, we checked the box, and now they have to deal with it. When from the client side, when I'm doing coaching and training and people come to me for support, it's when they're living it. And this things, things that were theoretical are very much real in their face and have high stakes in their performance and their satisfaction. That's actually when I think people need support. Yeah, that's a good point. That's when the... Um the happiness curve dips after about mm-hmm. six months where they are facing some things, um, more emotional things, I would say, at that point um, that they would need support with. Right. So what I'm hearing you say is that if you want to really um, create a better alliance between the assignee and the corporation, the corporation could invest in intercultural training to sort of tool people up to be ready for the challenges that are there. What What else? I think, again, and I mentioned this earlier, communication. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important. And it's not only the communication at the beginning. I believe that the communication should be continuous throughout the assignment. Whether Mm -hmm. it's a dedicated time quarterly that they would speak to somebody in the global mobility department, or if the company has hired a destination service provider to work with them, Mm-hmm. I think, and that's to your point where you say about six months in is when you have all those questions. So this kind of communication check-in call would be a good um, time to find out what other support they need. Because, you know, like you said earlier, an assignment is so expensive. And mm-hmm. as a company, you really want to protect your investment. And as a company, you want your assignees to succeed. Right. It's not us against them. It's, you know, it's a whole. (laughs) And how can we support them? And I really think that needs to come from um, the organization, because if you're the assignee, you don't want to put your hand up and look like, you know, the problematic family or the, you know, low resilience family or the red flag family. You, you don't want to raise any attention that you're not thriving, right? This is honestly, people I've worked with multiple organizations, including government and, and corporate, and they they have resources at their organization, maybe a psychologist, yeah. but they are not going to use it because they don't want to get flagged. And by the time you need a psychologist, it, it might be too far. The damage might be done, right? So that I think is really interesting about, like, it goes back to the culture of the organization. What kind of culture do you have to invite the communication um, that's proactive? So let's let's get a little bit deeper. What are some of the things that assignees do that people in global mobility wish they would just stop? <laughs> things that you're just like frustrated about. Um, you know, I what I've heard over the years are is that assignee 
that keeps um, calling about complaints. Because mm-hmm. um, I think there's a way to present that back to the corporation that's more professional. Mm-hmm. And I would say sometimes that comes from an, an, an unhappy spouse or partner. Mm-hmm. And, say more. Yes. And so if they can um, think about being a little more professional in their requests, kind of give a little bit of background if they send an email and say, this is not right or this isn't working, um, what would go a long way. The mm-hmm. other thing that I hear a lot from Global Mobility is that they'll send an assignee, and this is goes, to back, goes back to the beginning of a, an assignment, they'll send the assignee a whole packet of stuff, an email, and the mm-hmm. assignee won't read it. And <laughs> nope, nope. No, you have like 17 attachments. No, we're, we don't even have a sofa. I'm not going to read 17 attachments, right? <laughs> that is one of the things that they say. This piece, of, you know, the employee will say, well, what happened here? And that, well, it was in your package. You forgot right. to take it out or you forgot to do this. And yes, they understand how much energy it takes to relocate. Yet there are certain things that have to be done. And unfortunately, those things are really boring things like, you know, getting set up for their taxes. Um, immigration, of course, happens at the beginning, but, you know, they might have right. to get visas. Um, and they're really concerned about where they're going to live, where the kid's going to go to school and things like that. So that's another thing I've heard over the years that the assignees just don't, um, you know, read what they what they need to. And they get then things come up and it causes a little kink in the wheel. Right. So, I mean, when I even imagine that email and I know how many attachments or how long the PDF is, my eyes like glaze over kind of like a deer in the headlights. So what I'm, what I'm hearing, my instinct would be like, ignore, you know, denial is amazing. But what I'm hearing you say is honestly to, to embrace this partnership or optimize this partnership we have to recognize what the work that went in, the thought and input that went in from the global mobility professional that is of service to the assignee and the intention is to save time and stress. Exactly. Right. So instead of seeing this email, it's like, oh, I have another thing to read. And we've been there. I mean, it is it is exhausting what, you know, points in the relocation, what, what can happen. But what I'm hearing is a tip for all assignees is when you get that packet, you get that email, um, you have to bribe yourself. This is the coaching part of me. I would say bribe yourself to, you know, to, to print it out and read it over a glass of wine or tea or at a place with nice music or whatever it is. So you can at least get through it um, to serve, you know, long-term. Exactly. It would benefit that. It would benefit, you know, the assignee and the family in the long term. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing you can kind of check off your box, at, you know, like, okay, yeah. I got my paperwork in order. Okay. Yeah. What's- yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I get, I see both sides. I really do. Part of me wants to say, Hey, you guys give us smaller bites or deliver it to us in a way that, um, is more manageable based on where we're at. But on the other hand, it's like some things you just have to what bite the bullet and, and do it. Exactly. And one of the things that you brought up a little earlier is about the mental health. And that is a topic that's getting a lot of, um, you know, people are discussing it a lot. And we had, as a guest speaker, somebody from International SOS um, mm-hmm. and had some 
amazing statistics about um, how many people are actually suffering from either anxiety or depression over this. And they, um, through their programs, an assignee can actually go in um, and I don't think the company would get notified. So there's more of a privacy issue. Mm-hmm. Because, like you mm-hmm. said, sometimes it's too late. And even bis- global business travelers, there's a, like a tipping point when they're away for more than 14 days, they start to mm-hmm. suffer anxiety and things like that. So I think that's really important to be aware of. That might not be something that your global mobility group is talking about because their whole thing is making sure you get there. Yep. That it's you're safe, you're happy, things are going as planned and help you support that. But like you said, there's, you know, there's that point, maybe it's six months where a lot of people really suffer that kind of downward, um, you know, it's all beautiful and wonderful. And Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden reality sets in and they might need some support. Right. And the curve, we call it confronting deeper issues. And you know what triggers me for there? And what I'm realizing is when I look at global mobility, um, you know, I've lived abroad for 20 years. I've been um, at like a relocation, like migrant where I relocated permanently. And I've also been a rotational expat. I see it really the long term, same with all my clients. But what I'm hearing a little bit from you is that the global mobility professional focuses on getting them there successfully. Right. And for me, I look at it like, what about assignment success? Like the the, the two years or the four years. So your performance, so you hit the ground running and you can maintain high performance, you know, connect across cultures, keep your family intact so that the big picture, that's where we see the return on the investment when the, when the assignment is successful, not just getting there, but the entire deal. Exactly. And there's two things that um, companies are starting to do proactively now. And one is um, setting up a mentoring program for international moves. So you may have a mentor in your home country and a mentor in your host country. Mm -hmm. And also at providing coaching as a core benefit. Right. Which And and you can speak to coaching because you see the success for that. It just shortcuts so many things. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, um, coaching is an investment and one-to-one coaching um, is, you know, I, I see organizations and some really great examples. I know um, I, I hesitate whether I should start naming names, like they're doing a great job. They're not doing a good job. There are some organizations out there that really go for it when it comes to supporting coaching. There's others that are making choices with their budget not to. And um, that's one of the reasons why I created a package where I could deliver most of the, um, the themes I'm seeing in all my coaching in sort of a digital bite-sized pack. And then we save the time when we meet face-to-face in you know one-to-one or a group so we can really dive deep instead of delivering some of that content in the coaching. There's a lot of ways that organizations can support their people that are within scope. And I think that's what um, one, I, this is just my outside observation. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Some organizations already discount that kind of on the ground support because they say it's too expensive without looking at some of the mediated, you know, like blended learning approaches, 
um, or, you know, blend between live and digital interaction. And I know that living abroad does some of that. I know I do some of that. There's a lot of organizations out there that are really working towards that. Exactly. And I think that's one of the tips um, for signees is just make sure that, you know, that you're offered when you're offered the information on that particular, you know, destination that host country that you do take the time to learn a little bit about it um, before mm-hmm. you go, because yeah. that takes some of the, um, the fear away. You're learning right. a little bit about what you can expect. Um, and most companies, if they use a third party relocation, the third parties offer that information. That's also what we do. We offer the destination information kind of soup to nuts for some, for somebody relocating. It's an online service where they can get it, you know, 24 seven. Um, I think that's really important. Right. That's called uncertainty reduction, right? Like that's the nerdy communication part of me, like uncertainty reduction theory. If you're uncertain, you get information and it reduces your uncertainty. It's really, it helps with the anxiety and it also helps pragmatically. Some people who are listening, who are more experienced expats are going, uh, of course you look up the destination information and you might be judging when you hear that. But I would have to say, you know, in my client experience, there are times where people are asked to leave and relocate in, in, you know, lightning speed. So you don't always have time to do the research yourself because you've, you've been focusing on like, you know, getting your kids out of school into a new school and sort of, you know, mentally adjusting to what you're doing and you haven't had everything at your fingertips. So I do think that happens even if with the most savvy, um, of expats. All right. I have a hunch you and I could talk for, for ages about this. Um, you know, you've shared some of the insider secrets around how corporations can up-level how they're supporting assignees and how assignees can up-level how they work with the corporation so that they create more of a collaboration rather than an adversarial um, relationship. Um, is there something that we're missing? Is there something else that you wish people knew? You know, I think um, that... HR could do a little bit better job on some of the softer issues. Mm-hmm. And because that's what makes or breaks the assignments from what I see and what I hear. So um, as I mentioned earlier, um, supporting the reaching out, that communication, I think mm-hmm. is really important to develop that. And even with the spouse or partner to find somebody within the organization that they can use as an advocate mm-hmm. that would help them if they had questions. And I'm sure there's all kinds of resources that companies have if they're a large company. If they're not, that's going to be a little trickier. But, um, you know, for really for HR, I think, and I think they do this, they, you know, support joining, you know, local clubs and organizations and getting to know your neighbors and all that. Um, I think, again, the most important thing is to that is that communication piece. I really do. And I think it works both ways. Yeah. I would add um, the empathy of really trying to see people's perspective and the intercultural side. I always get really defensive when we talk about hard skills and soft skills because hard feels like it means difficult and soft makes it feel like it's easy, which is actually... Not the case. I do a lot of work with top talent and I work with engineers and finance and we talk about empathy and intercultural communication and communication. And believe me, some of the smartest people in the world struggle with those, 
you know, air quotes, soft skills. So I'm totally in alignment with that. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy. Um, I love hearing this from your perspective. So it's validating for those who are on assignment to hear that from you. And it's also, I'm sure, validating for those who are in global mobility to say, yes, (laughs) I'm squeezed, right? So uh, my encouragement is to, you know, anybody who's listening to this, whether you're in in global mobility or you are the assignee, to reflect on how you can up-level how you show up to this relationship so that you, so you get what you need, but not in a sort of bowl in a china shop way, but in a collaborative way. And you've given some great tips there. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Sunday. I really appreciate it. And it yeah, nice. thank you. Well, where can we find you? If we want to know more, we want to know more about you or living abroad, where should we go next? Yeah, you can very easily find us at livingabroad.com. And all the information and services that we provide are on that site. And if anybody has any questions, you can reach out to me very simply. At, it's just kathy.hine at livingabroad.com. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. I will put that in the show notes so people have the link directly. Again, thank you for your time. How much fun was that to have Kathy on Expat Happy Hour today? I think what I'm taking away is this relationship between organization and the assignee. We need to um, take a deep breath, (laughs) step outside of our immediate stress level and say, how can I look at the other person's perspective to optimize this collaboration? And I know from both sides, that's hard to do, but that's kind of the main thing I'm taking away from Kathy today. So what we've been talking about in this episode is how we can really optimize how we show up to this collaboration between the organization and the international assignee to make the most of it. What I haven't shared yet is a special surprise that Kathy is coming back next week and we're going to talk about the special role that women can take to advocate for their international assignment. As we know, the amount of women who are taking international assignments is growing. We're hitting 20%. Of course, it's not enough yet, but we're on our way. And what can we do as women to step into the international assignment in an empowered way? What can organizations do to remove any outdated barriers that are there in their organization. That and more in the next episode of Expat Happy Hour. Thank you all who are listening to Expat Happy Hour today. This is Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with a quote from William Arthur Ward, and that is, happiness is an inside job. So whether your job is in global mobility or you're the assignee or a company and partner being sent abroad, your happiness will work if you focus on showing up in these collaborations, naming what you need, and then finding a way to make it fit for both sides. So thank you everybody for listening and looking forward to hearing you in the next episode. Ha <laughs> ha